Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit will be with us now. We will have ears that hear and eyes that see, and we will recognize the presence of your spirit teaching us about Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. There's a moment that I've always loved that comes early in Handel's Messiah. It's a moment that I've always loved, though, though not always, I think, a moment that I've fully understood, which is not to suggest I fully understand it now, but it's one of those moments where the words seem incredibly important. You ever hear words, and it's like, that seems important, but I'm not sure I know why. As if something significant is being said. And here it is. This is the moment. Sing along if you know it. saying, and he shall purify the sons of Levi. Now listen to this part. Oh, not yet. Hold on. All right, here it comes. Listen. And he shall purify the sons of Levi that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. That sounds real important, doesn't it? But what does it mean? And who is the he that's going to do this work? Well, I suppose we can easily enough guess who the he is, seeing that these words come from Handel's oratorio, the Messiah. And uh, actually, if you, if you were to see the original, uh, this is what it looks like at the top of the page. Come on, Patty. Don't cheat me here. There it is. That's Handel's own hand written at the top of the page. This is not the first time we've dealt with this particular work recently. You remember the choir and the brass and the strings a couple weeks ago sang, Worthy is the Lamb. That's from this same oratorio. Stay tuned, you might hear that again sometime mid-year. It's, it's not just Christmas music. Maybe we always think of it in terms of Christmas, but, but it's the story of Jesus, really. It's his whole life. But as this is the first Sabbath of December, and it's in the Christmas context we usually think of it, and Christmas Day itself is three, day, three weeks and a day away, I bring these words to your attention in this context. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Who is this about and what does it mean? My goal for today, in the next few minutes, is to explain what this means and help you to understand why a group of wise men from far away, we're not actually going to talk about them, but why a group of wise men from far away came and bowed down and worshiped a baby. That's the goal. So let's see if we can get there from here. 
Do you know where these words in this song from the Messiah come from? Interestingly, they come from a chapter of a book you probably know of, but for a completely different reason. Those words come from the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Does anyone know anything else that comes from Malachi, chapter 3? Well, you have in front of you a little white envelope. Maybe you've seen it before. I've got a little picture here to remind you there. You ever seen that guy before? Yeah, I got a little envelope there, and it's got print across the middle. Grab one of those and look at it. I'm not, I'm not tricking you into giving offering right now. I just want to show you something there. Grab one of those and take a look at it, and you'll see written across the middle of it, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. It's a very nice passage, isn't it? But that's not the part of Malachi 3 I want us to look at today. Though, interestingly, what I do want us to look at does have something to do with bringing offerings to the Lord. I want to look earlier in this chapter, and we're going to look in the book of Malachi anyway, in the King James Version, because that's the version that Handel used when he wrote the Messiah, and how he wrote it is what dominates my ear, so when I hear it in any other translation, it sounds funny. So here we go. Malachi 3, verse 1, the first part says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now we're going to stop right there because from this we're going to be able to easily establish who the part that follows is about because Jesus himself quotes this very passage. It happens in Matthew chapter 11 and it reads like this, beginning in verse 2. When John was in prison, and when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. And now he quotes Malachi 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. In verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I guess that's not just a message to the churches, isn't it? Back to Malachi 3 and, and who it's about. Malachi 3 verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. Jesus quotes this as applying to John the Baptist. And then it goes on. Verse 1. And the Lord whom ye seek, 
shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So the text says that the messenger will come, and then after the messenger, the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. It's hard not to sing that as well, because that's part of the Messiah, part of the oratorio. So if John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the messenger mentioned in the passage, who then will be the one who suddenly comes after him? Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I want you to notice the fire language John is using here. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. There it is again. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, at this point, John is talking about the one who's going to come after him. And so, at this point, you might be expecting the imminent appearance of one of surpassing glory with blazing eyes and a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth or something like that, right? That's what the description sounds like is coming, doesn't it? Well, do you remember how the apostle John heard one of the elders at the throne say the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome giving one a mental image of something big and powerful but then when John turned and looked what did he see he saw a lamb looking as though it had been slain well get ready for that again John has just said that the one who comes will refine with fire but now look at the very next verse in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. No flaming eyes, no double-edged sword out of the mouth, just a man standing at the bank of the river. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. 
With him I am well pleased. You see, just like it takes special ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, it also takes special eyes sometimes to see who Jesus really is. Special, refined, purified eyes. Do you have eyes like that? How can Jesus, meek and mild, standing on the bank of the river, now walking into the water to be baptized, how can this humble man be described as the wrath that is to come? Malachi 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and shall pure and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. One of the saddest stories that the Bible tells is how often the Levites, the ones specially chosen to offer the sacrifices to the Lord, how often the Levites became corrupted. Does making an offering in righteousness matter? Well, two of the first priests found out that it did. Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10, verse 1. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers put fire in them and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to his command. They brought an offering in unrighteousness. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Sometimes the Levites didn't offer offerings in righteousness. Then there were the sons of Eli. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I will take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. They were bringing an offering 
of unrighteousness. It matters to make an offering in righteousness. And then this, a story we considered last spring from the Walls series, Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 7. Then he brought me to the entrance to the court. I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. He said to me, Son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here. So I went in and looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of Israel, and Jezaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. It was an offering in unrighteousness. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. So I ask you, based on these stories, did the Levites need purifying? Do I even need to mention this passage, Matthew 26? Verse 57, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, a Levite, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Verse 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin was looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? It's an ugly story, isn't it? It's a story about the Levites. Yet the prophecy states and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. How is Jesus going to do this? How will he purify the sons of Levi? Because there doesn't seem much chance they're going to purify themselves. God tells us through the prophets 
how he's going to do it in a most remarkable passage. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Joshua was the Levite high priest in Jerusalem during the days after the tribes returned from Babylon. And like the Levites before him, he was flawed. Dressed as it were, not in white clothes, but in filthy clothes. Verse 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Does this remind anyone of the message to Sardis with the fine garments? Verse 5, then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. It's the standard go and sin no more speech that Jesus gives us every time he forgives us and takes away our filthy garments and clothes us again in clean garments. But now listen to this. This prophecy is about to get very real. Verse 8, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, catch this line, who are men symbolic of things to come. We'll come back to that. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. The branch, the stone, could it be the stone that the builders rejected? The one who will remove the sin of the land in a single day. What day was that? That was the day that Jesus died for the sins of the Levites and the sins of the land on one day. Malachi 3. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. God does not promise without delivering on his promise. So perhaps at this point you've kept this at arm's length and we're about to wrap it up now, but I need to bring it home for you. And for that, we've got to go back to Revelation chapter 5 where we were a couple weeks ago at the throne of God. Revelation 5 verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. No one could purify the Levites. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, just like the seven eyes in Zechariah, isn't it? Which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. This is an offering in righteousness right here, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from, catch this, every tribe and language and people and nations. You see, this is the work that Zechariah reports that will be done in a single day. But now, note this part because this is where this whole message gets real for all of us. Verse 10 You have made them. Who's them? Every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and what? Priests. You're the Levites now. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. It's not the Levites as the descendant of Levi who are the priests anymore. Remember John the Baptist said God could raise from these stones sons for Abraham, sons for Levi. Congratulations, stones. You've been raised as sons of Levi by God's grace. And now it is us. We are the ones bringing offerings in righteousness, or at least I hope, That's what we're bringing. You see, we have all been made to be priests, to offer sacrifices of praise to God. But it's not because of our righteousness. No, it is by grace through Jesus Christ alone that we stand as a kingdom and priests. We stand before the throne. And it is only through the refining fire of the purifier that our offerings can be given in righteousness. It was in order to make us righteous that Jesus was born. That he came to be one of us because none of us, not one, was righteous. So he came to be righteous in our place. So what offering do you bring to the throne of God today? Are you bringing an offering in righteousness? 
It will be an, a righteous offering if you let the purifier and the refiner purify and refine your gift. So now do you see why the wise men of old came and bowed? They didn't see the baby. They saw the purifier. They saw the refiner. They saw the one who would turn even them into Levites, bringing offerings of righteousness. Will you let the purifier purify your gifts? He who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that the purifier born in Bethlehem would come to us with his refining fire and transform us into Levites who bring offerings of righteousness and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.